Welcome to Writing the Coast, the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, where I talk to the authors and illustrators whose books are shortlisted for the annual prizes and celebrate the work being written and read in British Columbia and the Yukon. I'm Megan Cole, your host for this episode, and the conversation that you're about to hear was recorded in late August here in Pell River, British Columbia, in my kitchen with Shazia Hafiz Ramji. Shazia was in town uh, for a poetry reading at the Pell River Public Library, and we were so thrilled to have her here. Shazia's book of poetry, Port of Being, was nominated for the Dorothy Livesay Prize. This year, Port of Being has gained a lot of attention and acclaim, including winning the 2017 Robert Croach Award for Innovative Poetry. Now my conversation with Shazia. Shazia, you are our first author for the podcast. How does it feel to break this new ground? Oh my god, it feels, uh, I feel a lot of pressure. No, Megan, thank you for making me feel very comfortable and for hosting me at the Powell River. It's beautiful. It's been fun. You were you were here last night uh, at the library for a reading that you did with Andrea Bennett and Adriana Virtue and Adriana, uh, Andrea, not Adriana, Andrea Lane Black and Erin Innes. Um, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind starting our podcast out today with a reading from your your lovely book. Sure. This poem is called Conspiracy of Love, and the title came up when um, I was reading Anne Michaels' new book of poems, and the couple of lines from her go, you love like a conspirator against everything that has power to defeat us. Conspiracy of Love. The problem with trying to one-up yourself is not that you might die by your own hands, but that you'll be able to justify why without feeling anything When you're in withdrawal, alone in your bed, the salt from the sweat pressed on the mattress was testimony to what you allowed. Quote, I am Satan because I deal in language, unquote. The next day you'd stop shaking. You went to work secular and clean. There were no other addicts and you didn't speak. You know that lies look beautiful, unified, all parts clicking together, lighting up your eyes. Their old technology made new sleek and gleaming in crevices like fog rolling around Renfrew. And you're awake today to see it because you've been brave. You've noticed your friend has listened and told you very boring things, not dismiss them as errands. This is a task you will have to do soon enough, remembering all the ways your mind moved to write yourself into a poem you want to call Conspiracy of Love. When the guy from Tinder said hi to you in school, it didn't strike you that he might know you from the internet. You didn't remember who he was, not even when he called you by your fake name. All you thought was, quote, I can't do this again. I want to be clean. I want to be Shazia, unquote. If you end this poem here, it might make sense, but we both know this kind of work is a cult. So you have to ask me, how do you want to finish this poem? You have to leave it there. That way, at least it's not about you anymore. Thank you. It's such a beautiful piece. Um, do you you mentioned that it was inspired by an Anne Michaels poem? Um, do you mind just sharing a bit more about your process around that piece in particular? 
Yeah, this piece was one of the ones that came out in a burst, but the title um, and the emotion from Anne Michaels' work was actually what motivated this poem for me, what allowed it to come out. And I think that Anne Michaels' book, All We Saw, there's this particular belief. I think it's a book about faith, but she believes very strongly in the power of the afterlife. And so what that meant for me was that she was exceeding herself in a really impressive way that made an impression on me. Um, and so when I began to write this one, I wasn't intending to write a poem about addiction, but that's what it ended up being. So I think it's a poem about learning to acknowledge myself and what I've been through and just how I feel that the universe conspires to make things possible for us at every moment. Sorry, that got really intense and deep. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> I, I'm curious about how it fits with the, the book as a whole. Um, it was brought up last night at the reading that there's kind of five parts in this book. And so how did you how did that kind of fit in when you were looking at where that poem fit with some of the others? How, how does it flow in that way? This poem is in the last section of the book, and I think that the book moves from a more... Um, there, you could say there's a kind of arc in the book where it moves from more objective um, impressions and fragments to a more personal narrative. And I think that these last poems are definitely the more personal and the more narrative, more lyric poems. Um, they more straightforwardly look like a poem because they're just blocks of text on the page. Um, whereas the first few sections are fragments um, that I gathered from walking around the city and the waterfront and the ports. And it was a way of bringing myself back into the world because I was uh, struggling with depression and addiction. So where did the idea for this collection of poems come from? Hmm. Was there one idea? There probably was more than one. I, f I wish I had a kind of brief answer to that, but I feel like I didn't even know that I was writing about Port of Being or ports or the city until after I'd finished. And I was just doing, I was just trying to live, basically, going for walks every day in the city, collecting impressions, collecting fragments. And then eventually, um, I think when I put out my chat book in 2017, I noticed um, the themes that were emerging. And that allowed me to research further into why I'm so into surveillance and waterfronts and ports. Yeah. Something that I, I wanted to talk to you about that kind of came up. I was reading a few like Q and A's that you've done, but also just kind of some of the themes that you touch on in your book was around vulnerability. And I think, um, you write about vulnerability, but also the act of writing about some of these topics is very putting yourself in a vulnerable position. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and how you deal with that whole, you know, thing about being a writer and writing about those emotional subjects and being vulnerable, but not giving yourself too much of yourself away, too. I'm going to ask you first. How do you <laughs> do it, Megan? <laughs> How do I do it? I don't know. I don't know if I've figured it out yet. I think it's one of the things I'm most afraid of is being vulnerable. And then when people say that my writing is vulnerable, I feel really proud of that. But... Um, it's, I'm afraid of it because I'm afraid of, you know, that my vulnerability will 
hurt other people, if Mm. that makes sense. You know, Mm. like my family or, you know, friends or any of those people who read about these experiences that I'm sharing for the first time on the page. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm worried about how that impacts other people more than how it impacts myself. Yeah, yeah. I was really worried about that, actually. But I I figured, you know, no one would read the book. Um, But my family ended up knowing about the things that I'd written about when they saw the CBC interview. (laughs) Which is a bit of a mess. (laughs) Because I hadn't really... um, I used to be a very good liar, and I used to take pride in lying a lot, and so I lied to my family quite a bit. And, you know, that's that's part of what being a functioning addict is, right? Just lie um, to everybody that cares about you and who loves you. And so they didn't know anything about what had happened. And so when the CBC interview came out, um, they were a little bit shocked. And I was shocked and I was, but they accepted me. And I think that's when I started to reconcile myself as being a part of the family again. So I think in a way it was really good for me Mm -hmm. in a surprising way. Cause I hang out, I go to my parents like a real kid now, you know, I go, I open the fridge, I eat food and I hang out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what regular families do apparently <laughs> in TV, <laughs> but we've become that and I'm happy that it's working out that way so far. Yeah. Has the vulnerability in your poems, like you write about addiction and those types of issues, has it, has it helped you um, build connections with people that you share your work with too? Cause those issues can often be really isolating. So has it helped to build community as well? Yeah, very much so. And it's always surprising to find people um, come up to me after readings and say, thank you for articulating that, especially the Conspiracy of Love poem that I just read. That one seems to resonate with a lot of people. And I was very um, I was very hesitant to share that poem in the first place because I feel like it's so honest that I can't even, like, it's kind of, I kind of cringe when I see it sometimes. Um, but that one has made people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I really resonate with what you said and thank you for articulating it this way and you're so brave. Um, Yeah, and the poem's been anthologized for Best Canadian Poetry 2019. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And I I think you were sharing this story with me in the car yesterday about even sharing your poetry with the high school students and how important that was on the BC Book Prizes tour. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah, I think the experience of being with the high school students and visiting different schools every day was really humbling because it it made me exceed myself in a way where I had to really um, clarify and make clear what I was trying to say. Um, It was very humbling. And I think, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing... I wasn't expecting it to resonate, to be honest, because I was a little bit worried about the how complicated they are and how adult they are in a way and how it would translate that for the audience, an younger audience. But I told them a little bit about my story and they really appreciate it, especially the quiet kids. You know, they were like, thank you for saying, you know, live with your parents this way and this is what happens. And thanks for sharing all the things that you've been through and about depression, especially. I had a few people come up to me afterwards Um, so that was, it was surprising to be honest. (laughs) Is it, do you find it's harder to read for like, I mean, you do a poetry reading like the one we did at the library last night and there's often folks in the crowd who have a a history and a connection to poetry, but 
I, I always find, because I work with teens as well, sharing poetry with teens, there's like this automatic kind of eye roll thing that happens because the poetry they learn in school is often not contemporary. And mm-hmm. have, how have you found that, like sharing your poems with an audience that maybe isn't familiar with you know, a modern style of poetry. Yeah, I had a really great discussion with a class on the BC Book Prize Tour, and the English teacher made it so much more conducive for all of us. He was so great. I forget his name now, but it was in Smithers, um, <clears throat> Smithers Secondary. And um, initially, because I, I also studied the same canon, you know, like all the British poets, the Romantics, but I did very much feel an affinity with the romantics, especially Wordsworth. And I felt that I needed to acknowledge that. I need to acknowledge all my influences regardless of however problematic or shitty they've become right now because they allowed me to recognize things in myself that I wasn't able to accept in myself, like Wordsworth. (laughs) The fact of his wanting to be alone and like being in nature and feeling things very deeply was obviously as a sensitive kid, you know, that was so resonant for me and he allowed me to really just accept myself at that age. And so when I shared that with the class and I said, you know, even though this is boring right now, this made an impact for me when I was studying Wordsworth too. And I just can, like I said, can you imagine what kind of what kind of attention, what kind of person it takes to notice these things because that's what life really is. It's like all these small moments that affect us that we just pass by. But somebody actually rose to that occasion and said, look at this bridge or look at the sun on this bridge. And and it's led me to where I am now just because somebody gave that recognition. And so, yeah, I just like to connect the influences in all their complexity as much as possible. I, I liked how you, and I noticed this when I read your book, like, but that kind of observing and being in the world, uh, I really connected with that because I think that's something that, I mean, writers for so long have had to to do, to write is to like observe the world, to see the kind of weird and unusual things and put them into their stories. But I find now, and I'm guilty of this, there's like that little thing in your hand all the time and we're not observing the world in the same way. Have you had to make that more of a, like a conscious practice to be more in the world and less on the screen, so to speak? To be honest, I feel with poetry, it's, it actually helps me to be distracted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like with this book, I was researching while I was watching like Blue Planet, while I was had a million tabs open and I was just kind of bringing in everything as it related because I, I feel like the poem allows I feel like I trusted the poems enough for a thread to emerge I wasn't trying so hard to shape it and I feel like that's a really hard place for me to get to with say the novel where I'm constantly trying to shape things which is when I have to push things like my social media or the internet out a little mm-hmm. bit but with poetry I feel like it was very conducive to be a little bit distracted and to be picking things up from everywhere and listening widely and reading widely. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your novel a little bit and how how your writing process differs between your poetry and your fiction. And um, are you often working on both at the same time? Do, does one feed the other? How does that look for you? When people talk about novels, there's always, you know, often people talk about in terms of a story or like what happens and then what happens next and there's a kind of nice tagline, but I'm, I'm a poet (laughs) 
And so I think I've been thinking through all the scenes and all the plot events as images. And so every time I want to work on the novel, I'll have to write a poem first. And that just helps me understand um, the scene in terms of images because I feel like that's how my head works mm -hmm. and there's just no way getting around it. So it's through poems that I'm entering the novel, which is which makes it much of a longer process, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your novel and what it looks like right now, if you're comfortable sharing that? Mm, I'm, I'm deep in the middle of it, so I'd rather not talk okay. about it. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, of course. Keep us in suspense. Yeah, it does draw very heavily on autobiography and my family history, though, so it's... I'm trying to be responsible and respect my own stories and see how everyone's shaping their own stories too. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a struggle. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's hard to write about yourself and the people in your life and being yeah. respectful and honest. Those how are... do you do it? How do I do it? Well, I mean, I, I write nonfiction, so I, it's sometimes I wish I were writing like auto fiction or whatever we now call it, but, um, because then I could maybe veil things a little bit but right now because I think I'm just in the draft stage I feel like I can pour it all onto the page and then as I revise soften the edges if I need to mm. um, but yeah I find I mean because it's creative nonfiction, I get to lean into the prose a little bit and mm. let the writing kind of create something that maybe hides some of the pain or whatever mm. yeah What's your what's your work about right now? My book right now it is a memoir about my ex and I, and uh, it tackles themes of gender and mental health. So there's some heavy stuff in there, but I try to lean into, like I said, the prose and you know some nice metaphors and imagery and make it a bit pretty. So it's not <laughs> so it's not so heavy. <laughs> Yeah, I worry about that too. I feel like I'm constantly apologizing for work being heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it, I mean, I mean, we can talk a bit about that. Where uh, I feel like maybe as as women writers, there is that kind of expectation that things should lean more to the pretty than the heavy, and mm -hmm. um, sometimes we maybe are afraid of putting our stronger emotions on the page. Uh, have you felt that with your work about? how to navigate the heavy and the, the darker side as a, as a female writer? To be honest, I feel like it's very difficult for me to write light things in poetry, especially. The fiction is surprisingly funny, mm -hmm. which I don't understand, but <laughs> that's what it is. Um, but the poetry is very difficult to write. Um, almost all the poems are kind of sad and dark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I do feel, I feel pressured, especially at readings, because I know it's, uh, it's, it makes for a better performance if you're funny and light, um, but you know, the poems are what they are, so, yeah. <laughs> you probably connect with more people that way, though, too, like, you know, um, people want to sometimes be, have those emotions acknowledged, and to feel, to watch someone read stuff that maybe they're feeling is always a powerful experience. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I wanted to talk the, another one of my nerdy obsessions uh, as a both a reader and a writer uh, is to flip. I always read the acknowledgments in people's books. Uh, I don't know if anyone else does this, but it's something I do with all people's books now because the more I get to know the writing community, the more I see the community in people's acknowledgments, which I always find to be really great. 
and uh, and you and I connected in on um, in the writing community via the uh, the internets, the Twitters. Um, and I wondered if you would just you know comment on how the writing community is important for you as a poet and as a fiction writer, and you know what that means for you in your in your writing and your process. Mm. Yeah, I feel like this book wouldn't have happened without so many people. I mean, I would just be like a poet writing in my room alone maybe and extending out work and hoping for a publication every now and then but I feel like Wade Compton has been especially you know he was the judge for the Robert Croach um, award for innovative poetry that I sent this manuscript for and I sent it because I know his work and I admire his work so much and I felt that he was like my only chance for under for getting my stuff because he's also a similar kind of nerd he's into like diaspora and shipping and really deep heavy stuff like surveillance in the city so I figured it was my one shot <laughs> yeah yeah and after when the book came out I feel like the whole my entire tour was made possible because of the people that I know like I stayed with my publisher and her partner in Picton in Ontario where the press is based out of um, in Toronto, I stayed with Erin Soros for part of the tour. Um, who's a, she's a great fi- nonfiction writer. I really love her work. Um, and here, I was just so surprised by all, all my friends that came out to the launch. I honestly thought no one would show up. <laughs> <laughs> How many people showed up? It was packed. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> yeah, that was... I. I feel like I'm still reeling in that like I just since then I've just been wanting to give back so much like I feel very very lucky and generous and to to have received that generosity. I think people are surprised sometimes by how um, supportive the writing community is because I think you know I don't know if it's the like way it's portrayed in movies or tv but there seems to be this like almost like competitive cutthroat publishing industry thing yeah and uh it just doesn't seem to be that way when you really look at it yeah i don't think that's that way at all (laughs) yeah i think and it's one of those things where i think it's you know writers know that in order for us all to be successful, we need to support each other and to make sure each other's work is being read and sold and all those things because that's what will keep a, a healthy writing community exactly. going. Exactly. Yeah, and we're all influenced by each other, right? All of us writing in the same time. Like our words make it possible for us to go ahead and say what we need to say. So it's just even though we're writing alone in our room, we're still talking with each other and that's what makes it possible too, I think. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you would read another poem for us, me and the listeners out there in the world. (laughs) I made this one called Parents' Poem, and it's for my parents. I've organized my desktop and done my work for today. I have no obligation to be anywhere. I ate a Milky Way in my bed, listened to Shade, and wait for the foghorns at 3 a.m., I'm happy and alone. Why do I want to see the world like parents who look at any kid and see their own, making faces to usher the forgetting of pain? It's not that I want to be a parent. When I go to another city, I lie to my company and visit a mall to look at people who live in that place and who choose to meet there. It makes me small, sad, and comforted, like waiting in line for my parents at Walmart on a Sunday as they finish whatever it is they do 
when they look for a new gadget or pillow, and I roll my eyes, half playing the part of the pissed off kid, as they buy me chocolate and bubbles, even though I'm almost half their age, and they've just finished complaining about money. What did your parents think of that poem? <laughs> I don't think they've read this one. No? I haven't given them a copy of the book. <laughs> <laughs> So whatever's on the CBC is what they've read. Oh, really? <laughs> Did, have they read any of your work or are they just... My mom tries to look up the poems. Like she's begun searching for my poems on the internet. Okay. Um, but this one hasn't been published. Yeah. But there was another uh, parent's poem that I wrote quite recently, earlier this year. And that one they read because it was published online in Poetry Northwest. And that one was based on a childhood memory I had of all of us... Um, sharing a bed in a room together because we were we just come back from the gulf war and it was terrifying for us to sleep in separate rooms and we couldn't afford a house at that time to that had more than two rooms and so yeah it was just the memory of sleeping all in the same room and hearing the call to prayer early in the morning and being terrified (laughs) and did they did they share any feedback with you or uh they did Yeah. yeah they um we just talked about it as if it was a memory and it was actually a funny sort of recollection recollection that we had it wasn't it was a sweet poem i think so i so it didn't bring up any confrontational emotions yeah Yeah. have you i know some of what you like you mentioned for your novel is uh is autobiographical have you included them at all in your research process very much so Yeah. yeah yeah Uh, not for this book, I'd say. This book was just me in my room. Yeah. And a lot of research in terms of surveillance and shipping and that sort of stuff. But for the novel, I have definitely been talking to my parents because I'm collecting the family histories as well. So I feel like I'm writing a family history through the novel. Mm. So they're, whatever stories they tell me, I'll tell it back and see if it sits, how it's sitting. Yeah. How do they feel about being included? They feel great. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's begun to fictionalize his own stories and make himself a hero. <laughs> Having adventures in a Jeep. And I'm like, you never did that. <laughs> My memory is a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you find as you talk to them that as you're comparing stories that that you'll be like, that's not, like you said, that's not what happened. Yeah. 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 It's definitely, yeah. My dad is a storyteller. <laughs> yeah. He's just a natural. Yeah. And the more you tell stories, they kind of pull from different things that may not always be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we could probably talk for hours and hours, but uh, maybe we'll just leave it there for today. Thank you so much, Shazia, for being our first uh, nominated author on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much, Megan, for making me feel very welcome at Powell River and for doing this. We'll come back soon. I hope we can maybe host a reading for you when your novel comes out. Yay! (laughs) I'd love that. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our first official episode of Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole. Stay tuned for our next episode where I will discuss the woo-woo with the wonderful Lindsay Wong, and we have more great authors coming up in future episodes. For more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes and our podcast, be sure to visit our new website, bcyukonbookprizes.com.